when Elizabeth died, you know, it was very emotional and, oh gosh, this is a once in a lifetime event. But remember that we've actually lived to see two royal funerals and to be alive when Richard was actually buried with a highly emotional, I think, journey, his coffin when it went through the streets of Leicester with the Yorkist rose being thrown on his coffin was just, I mean, I had to put Richard III in this list. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Aspects of History podcast. My name is Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and your host. And today I'm talking top 10 historical movies. But it's not only me. For such a task, I have brought in a professional, director Tim Hewitt. Now Tim brings the gravitas and I bring some historical knowledge, but mainly we're at heart lovers of film. What we're going to do is we're going to run through each of our films and decide who should win out. So that means my number 10 goes up against Tim's number 10. We agree on a winner, and we then move on to the next, and so on. Now, I do hope you enjoy it. We've got a nice spread of films, some of which you might not have heard of. If you want to go back and listen to me with a rundown of my top ten in more detail, have a look for my chat with Mark Ellis on crime in World War II London, and my top ten is right after that. Link is in the show notes. Now, as listeners to this podcast, Tim has kindly shared two short films he's directed. The first... A Little Place Off the Edgware Road is based on a Graham Greene short story and stars the great Paul McGann. The second, Broken Shelter, is a claustrophobic thriller and I do highly recommend both of them. I put in their links as well as Tim's Twitter and the list and the links to the films and any other links we discussed all in the show notes. Please do subscribe to the podcast if you can. It really does help. And if you can give a rating, that would be wonderful. Listeners, Also, if you use the voucher code HISTORY50% on our website, and the links are in the show notes, you get an annual subscription to the EMAG for only £5 or $5, and you can gift that too, given we are in the Christmas season. In the meantime, I'll hand you over to me talking with director Tim Hewitt on our top 10 historical movies. Tim Hewitt, welcome to this bonus episode of Aspects of History. It's it's a real pleasure to have a real-life uh, film director on. Thank you very much. Uh, now, listeners, Tim is a very old friend of mine, um, but well, that's not why he's on. He's on is because he is a, uh, uh, a, a very successful film director, and he's very kindly given me his, his time to discuss a top ten historical movies uh, because he saw my top 10 and he took issue with them and so I said well you know if if you don't like it why don't you come on and talk about it and so here he is so Tim uh we're going to rattle yes. through what we're going to do we do we I was just outlining how uh we were going to run this and basically listeners if you didn't hear my um top 10 which was with mark ellis and i'll put a link in the show notes for you to go back to if you've uh, neglected to listen to it um we're gonna my top 10 will go up against tim's and we'll both discuss it and agree which one wins so then um we'll have an agreed tim and ollie's (laughs) top 10 which then becomes the aspects of history top 10 movies Mm -hmm. um but we'll probably end up being tim's top 10 because he has all this technical knowledge but tim yes 
let's kick off with number 10. Okay. Uh, your number 10 or my number 10? Well, my number 10, I had, <laughs> and this, this was controversial. It was mm. Alexander by Oliver Stones. And we are talking uh, top 10 historical films in film history. So yeah. your <laughs> number 10, Alexander has squeezed into essentially the greatest historical films ever made since the beginning of, well, the invention of cinema in what well, beginning of the 20th century. So that's very controversial. <laughs> uh, but as we all know, art is subjective. So I, you know, one can't take com too, too much issue with the fact that if you like it, you like it. Um, uh, I mean, I've got guilty pleasures, but number 10 on the greatest historical films of all time on a history podcast, that's, that's quite a challenge. And I'm going to uh, well, I just <laughs> can be fun to discuss, but um, what, what, why exactly is my? Why, I'd like to know what, what, whether it was a childhood, childhood, well, a guilty pleasure of yours, or whether it was just a, something that you liked since it when it came out, or well, um, yeah, it, it did come out in two thousand and three, I think, mm. uh, three or four, um, yeah. uh, two thousand and four, I think, and I. The reason why I loved it was because it was um, it, in its, and I've seen there's about, there's a director's cut, there's a final uh -huh. cut, there's a yeah. theatrical cut, and I have seen them. So all. obviously it wasn't good enough uh, in one form or another that he needed to keep changing it. <laughs> well, studios, you know what they're like. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it got longer and longer. I think each cut that came out. And mm. I think the most recent one was released about six or seven years ago, and in fact. There was a screening just uh, last week at the, mm. the British Library with Oliver Stone doing a Q and A oh, at wow. the end. So there, there remains a strong, mm. um, a, a strong yeah. following for this film. It was sold out. I couldn't get a ticket. Well, I mean, he's he's a great. Let's not kid ourselves. He's a great director. Um, no matter what you think of any of the subject matters that he tackles, or any, or, or I mean, the thing is, is uh, as a piece of. Uh, documented history where does it stand compared to pure cinematic kind of blockbuster fun um if you will i mean you know we could talk about colin farrell's hair we could talk about angelina jolie but or, or in just in terms of you know i know alexander's probably quite a significant figure for you it, yeah that's the key but it was quite historically it, it, the parts that were covered um were historically i think quite good i think there are a few mm. things that people didn't like like the hair um mm. the accents the uh, all the <laughs> yeah, macedonians yeah. spoke in irish accents well it's, it's kind of got yeah it's the issue with you know american films uh being set in a place where you know english isn't the, the spoken language so we sort of have to i mean you you've, things like the last temptation of christ where a lot of them sound like they're from New York um, in biblical times can sometimes distract people. Um, That's and, Willem Dafoe plays Jesus. Yeah. So he's a uh, yeah, Willem, and Harvey Keitel, uh, you know, kind of Judas Iscariot, isn't he? Di yeah, difficult things sometimes to get your head round. Um, but I mean, the thing with Alexander for me was that it just it, it felt a little bit like a, a, a like a Oliver Stone firing slightly below par on on a massive budget um 
but considering that he's an, he can be amazing at character work uh with uh, so many of his other films um and i don't know it just sort of it was yeah. it was but uh, you know uh it's subjective i mean my my number 10 was I think my, very my, controversial. Well, yes. Let's hear your number ten because the director is rather um, persona non grata now. Yes, he is. Um, and so was the film. I mean, the film was lamb- funny enough. The film was lambasted before it even came out um, by from by people who had never seen it because how dare you touch this subject matter? I think was the. But my number ten is the Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, um, which is again you could argue. Hang on. You're talking the history of film, and that's the tenth best historical film ever made. Arguable. I just think, first and foremost, it's a incredibly visceral piece of filmmaking. Um, regardless of what you, how you feel about what's portrayed, whether it was re inverted commas real, um, if it actually happened, if it was really based on the on the Gospels. As a piece of filmmaking, I just thought it was incredibly powerful. And I do think he's probably one of the most visceral filmmakers around. There's a scene where the scene mm. where Jesus is getting um, uh, whipped, but with Blogged. this. Yeah. Yeah. With this, but with this, not not with a normal whip, with a with a whip. No, he, he goes a little bit. <laughs> he goes a little bit. Um, it's Romans. Uh, it's the Romans. Yeah. And he gets quite carried away with some of the methods. I mean, whether that was all. What Mel Gibson accurate. does. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's probably coming mainly from him. Right. <laughs> um, but the thing is, he's learned, I think he's learned filmmaking from the very best because he was, you know, he's been in, he says, I think, you know, his, the directors that he worked with as an actor were his film school. And, you know, he was in, he is Max, one of the most visceral films probably out there. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's pretty cruel. And I think, you know, just it's probably the most, is it, is it not the most and quite possibly the most famous story ever uh, told through history? And you preferred um, it to The Last Temptation of Christ then? Yes. Yeah, I just felt The Last Temptation was slightly, I don't know. I what felt, good fellas in, 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 in Judea. <laughs> yeah, not, I don't know about, not that extreme, but it's a bit... Uh, it's really difficult. To, I, I want to say tepid, but it's just it feels like it's a little it's strange because it was one of his passion projects, if not his passion project, I think, along with silence. Um, but it it felt a little Scorsese bit we're talking about. Yes. Martin Scorsese. I think it was just a bit people disagree with me, but I think it was just a little bit lost. Uh, it became a bit um, uh, forced. I don't know well, uh, how to describe it, but it um, and I think the the accent thing had a lot to do with it. Um, well, that's that. That's what links um, Alexander. Then, even though we're mm, not actually meant to be talking about no. It However, the Passion of the Christ. Um, you know what? What? What I also found fascinating is that he decided, look, I'm going to do this in in as close to the original languages as possible. So there's Aramaic, um, Latin. I think what they called street Latin, which the soldiers, not the Latin that we learned at school. Um, but he, as far as I think um, possible, he took it. In fact, I be- it, originally he didn't want, even want to have subtitles because he thought the story was strong enough and you'd know what was going on anyway. 
And it's just, you know, an incredible, very sacrificial, I want to say, performance from um, Jim Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. Uh, And there's a sequel coming out, which is Is (laughs) quite surprising um, to do Uh, with his resurrection, I believe. Well, yeah, I guess it would be. Um, It would have to be. (laughs) The the one thing we should mention is that it did attract a lot of controversy at the time, and that becomes even more pointed Mm. when one um, uh, understands the altercation he later had with officers. Yeah, I try to not sort of, you know, mix. But it was accused of being sort of quite anti-Semitic. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, I, I have to admit, I'm a bit, I must be very naive. But when I watched it, I that sort of didn't really occur to me. I, I kind of I just watched the film um, for what it was. Now I'm not particularly scholarly in biblical stories. I mean, you know, we did a bit when I was young, and um, uh, having gone to a school that was like to, I guess, accentuate its Christian values. But we, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, so I didn't. I kind of came out thinking, but isn't that, that's just essentially he's just recounting the events of what happened. Then I started to read up on it and apparently, yeah, there, there could have been slightly more, or sort of rather slightly less emphasis on the, on the way that they were forcing Pontius Pilate to have him killed um, and for Pontius Pilate to be completely innocent of everything. Yeah, it does give him a um, bit of a free, uh, you know, get a little. Yeah, I can maybe understand, but I don't, as I say, I'm not really sort of an expert on But I just thought the filmmaking was very good. Right. Well, we should. I'm going to have to move us along. Yeah. The listeners will get very upset if we no, sure. carry on. Uh, so so right, there's number 10. Number nine. Number nine. Number ten. I think I got to say, I, I, it's fair enough. We'll we'll go we'll go with the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> it still pains me to say that because Alexander yeah. the Great to me is immeasurably more important figure historically than Oh wow, yeah, of the course. Good Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh no, a- Alexander is an extremely important figure. <laughs> yes, um, but anyway, we're talking about the film. So number nine. Yeah. I had mine. My number nine was mm. La Margot. Uh, oh yeah, listeners yeah, will know film. all about a brilliant. I mean, it's film. a very good film. Yeah. I'll be on, I, I'm, I, I completely agree with you. You know, and and it's it's now my number. The thing is, my number nine was something that I grew up with and watched ad infinitum. I mean, I can't tell you how much. Probably along with something like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I, I'm so ashamed to admit that I sometimes watched twice in one day. Number my number nine um, was something that I grew up with and I watched a lot. I wouldn't say I watched it twice a day because you just wouldn't be able to stand such a thing. Um, it's uh, my number nine is Laurence Olivier's Richard the um, Third, and I would probably go as far as say that along with two other um, films in my list, which funnily enough are actually number eight and number seven i would say that it is really down to the to the performance um laurence olivier's the lead towering performance as um richard um and the fact that, i mean he directed the film as well uh, he directed his all well, three shakespeare's four shakespeare's he did um richard the third hamlet henry v and othello um I, some people will argue, hang on, but isn't Henry V his 
kind of masterpiece that it's it's the the very patriotic um you know, a fantastic ad adaptation um i would say it's it could be up there the only problem is is the battle of agincourt is just not a battle it's horses walking into each other that let the film down for me um i know it was 1940s and it was difficult but the battle in richard iii is great um and and the 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 play's fantastic but also the character is just is so iconic um that i th and his appearance as richard is so iconic that i had to put this one as number nine um, the source material is so strong. I remember went going hmm. to. Um, I managed to persuade a bunch of. Uh, I used to work in IT, hmm. um, and I and I, I managed to persuade a whole bunch of colleagues who weren't weren't natural theatre goers to go to see Richard the Third at the Globe Theatre, yeah. and the hmm. actor playing Richard the Third was mark rylance played yes. richard the third and he was absolutely mm. brilliant and all the mm. it guys who weren't as i said weren't weren't um voracious readers of shakespeare mm. were, were kind of spellbound watching i it. mean what a what a actor to see mm. um on stage i mean he's fantastic he is uh I mean, he's, he's really amazing in anything he does um i think richard the third is is so is sort of so ingrained in our culture um I mean, of course, we now know that that historically it's probably quite rubbish. Well, there, uh, were, there are shape. Richard the Third followers, Tim, mm. who, who are who are convinced that he's oh, oh, really? a victim of Tudor propaganda. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, with uh, particularly with what was discovered you know, when was it two thousand and? I mean, the fact that we it, we're alive when Elizabeth died. You know, it was very. Uh, emotional and and oh gosh this is a once in a lifetime um uh event but remember that we've actually lived to see two royal funerals and to be alive when richard was actually buried um with a highly emotional i think um uh um journey his coffin when it went through the streets of leicester with the with the Yorkist rose being thrown on his coffin was just I mean I had to put Richard the Third in this list yeah. oh that's cause, wonderful because he's uh, I mean I, I I genuinely I've read a, quite a few books on Richard the Third and um, one of the uh, if Hollywood would ever stump up enough money um, I think a film of Bosworth just the battle um, would be. An astonishing spectacle because I think that you know the Battle of Bosworth itself was actually a very interesting battle. Um, the changing of sides halfway through, uh, the Stanley going from one side to the other. Um, not only that, the last moments of Richard's life, the fact that I think he got within a sword's length of Henry Tudor. Um, you know, I just it's just full of drama. Um, and I and to, I'd love to do a film. Uh, that is essentially the battle in real time, because I think the battle lasted for a couple of hours or so, which is, funnily enough, the length of a film, um, give or take. Uh, yeah, so I had to get uh, Olivier's Richard III, and I know there have been other great, uh, or rather, you know, relatively good versions, uh, Ian McKellen's, um, Al Pacino did a great little sort of documentary uh, called Looking, for, Looking Richard. for Richard, which was, yeah, uh, which was very interesting. Um, uh, but I, I just felt this, this was sort of like a childhood treat for me.
Um, yeah. So that was the one. That's my number nine. Wonderful. Well, Laren Margot, um, mm. the, the thing I love about Laren Margot is, and, and which I think is what I love about French filmmaking, mm-hmm. is that they don't seem to be tied by um, conventions that British filmmakers are. No, absolutely. Or at least uh, ho- particularly Hollywood filmmakers. Yeah. Um, the the um, which, Actually, this will be apt for uh, one of my films that's further up the list. Um, but I completely agree. Um, I find formula a little bit tiring after a while. It becomes a little predictable. Um, there aren't too many surprises. But I, and and Lorraine Margot, I think, is uh, in the vein of one of those really, really great French films. Um, I do agree. Uh, I, I think that, you know, acting, their, their realism is, is spot on. Um, we can do that. I do think we can do that. We don't do it that often. Um, we have a slightly more heightened style that you see, particularly on TV, a lot of the time. Um, I think one, one film we did mm. that got, got quite close um, was Elizabeth, mm. uh, where it was yes. quite gory. Yeah, the uh, Kate Blanchett one. Yeah, yeah, it was very good. The sequel's awful, yeah. but um, I thought that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we did. we did. I mean, you know, we do period very well uh, when we do it well. If you know what I mean, yeah. um, uh, uh, it's you know what we kind of I think uh, crossed upon love about us. Um, you know when you look at things like The Crown and um, well, all up here for Howard's End, Remains of the Day. Um, I I agree, but I think the French they do have a um, a style that, uh, like you say, is very it's non it's not really sticking to formula which i think is i think we should all do to be honest um, yeah, yeah yeah well um we can't possibly have lara margot defeat um <laughs> shakespeare that would that would just yeah it's a bit of a French. cheat from me actually they would be dancing in the streets of paris tonight if they heard that so yeah. it, it looks like i'm still i'm still a bit disgruntled over the alexander thing but we'll move on alexander number... Be number 11 <laughs> yes <laughs> number number eight uh number Eight, yes. Your number eight was my number eight was Breaker Morant, the Australian oh, film. Oh, the Australian film. World War. Yeah, yeah. And it was all around that period where the Aussies were making really good films, also Gallipoli. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rock, I think. A fantastic film. Peter, Peter another Peter Boy, yeah. Um, I uh, this is very difficult because I love that film. Um, because I love Australian cinema and being half Australian, uh it's difficult for me. However, it's not so bad because my number eight <laughs> um, is The Bounty, um, which uh, the Anthony Hopkins, Mel Gibson one, his Mel, again, I'm, yes, it isn't intentional. It's just, with it's just a bit of a coincidence. <laughs> um, but of course, it is directed by Roger Donaldson, who's an Australian, uh, he's, I think he's New Zealand, but he was born in Australia. Um, And uh, I just think, like my number nine, this has just too much of a towering performance for me to ignore it uh, from Anthony Hopkins. Um, Horn. Round the horn. Round the horn. Um, And... uh, (laughs) Rumblings, uh, RSR. Rumblings. (laughs) (laughs) Filth. Filth. Mr. Christian. Um, 
Yes, he's he, he. I mean, apart from the fact that the story is is I mean, it's so famous, um, and you know, it's been made what it's three times. Uh, it was the first one with Errol Flynn, and then the second and one, Trevor with, Howard, um, Mar- and Marlon Brando, and then yeah, Marlon Brando. Um, so you could argue, you know, well, why this one? Um, I just think Anthony Hopkins is. I I can't quite fathom why he wasn't nominated uh for well almost pretty much every award there was going but um it's got a great cast of uh characters anthony hopkins daniel day lewis when he was uh, quite young uh mel gibson obviously liam neeson you see a very young dexter fletcher um very young indeed uh and just it's so dramatic it's so powerful terrifying in some places um and you know it's just one of the great great historical tales um of the blah blah century um <laughs> uh, 18th century 18th uh, uh, yeah um so I, li- I like it because an ancestor of mine appears at the end uh, really is a, the board of inquiry meets and edward fox plays or is this oh, olivier? Yes, or is yes olivier i think it's olivier uh Olivia plays the admiral. Yes, who's I think he oversees plays that the proceedings. Admiral yeah. Hood, uh, who is my yes. ancestor. Yes, oh, that's fantastic, indeed. Um, well, uh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, well, moving on. Well, well, I, yeah. I think I think that's uh, break them around. All that. Wait, no, we break can't around, move yeah. on until we agree who wins this one. Well, it's a tricky one because. Um, I mean, I would be very happy to sacrifice my number eight for Breaking Ramp, but um, uh, well, we should have a vote. <laughs> we, 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 I will you vote and me, Ramp. yeah, um, because I think there's a scene. There's a scene towards the end, and I don't want to give away any spoilers to any um, yeah. any listeners who who haven't got mm. round to watching Breaking Ramp yet. But there's right. a scene right at the end, um, mm. which is very very moving and always tips me over the edge. Yeah which I don't think the bounty connects emotionally like that. Well, I mean, you could argue when they're left stranded and they're, you know, look very diseased and, and he keeps his, you know, he keeps the British end up. Um, uh, and, and is, you know, at when, when he arrives on shore and he can hardly walk, but he still keeps himself upright as much as he possibly can uh, because he's an officer. You know, a lot of people would become probably quite emotional there. Um, but I can understand because Breaking Around, yeah, it's very... And the thing is, is Breaking Around, Bruce Beresford is, you know, um, a wonderful director. Um, and and to be honest, I think, if I'm correct, is it the only Australian film on... Well, it's because it's, I don't have an Australian, full-blooded Australian film on my list. Um, so I'd be very happy to go with Break Around. If I had Gallipoli on my list, I would definitely, unfortunately, vote for that. Well, no, we'll we'll let Soka. We'll let Break Around. But I think Break Around. The bounty. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Right. Next number mm. seven. Now I've mm. uh, your number seven. Um, mm. I've, I've not actually heard of which is embarrassing. Uh, mine, right. Well, we'll just call it a day then. <laughs> yeah. Mine is Missing, uh, Costas Gravas. Yes, Costas Gravas. Yes. Um, yeah, this is going to be 
I'm surprised you haven't heard of this actually, because it was one of the big celebrated epics of the 80s by one of the greatest film directors to have ever lived. Um, so this is interesting. Um, it's obviously something you're going to have to watch as soon as you possibly can. Um, I can lend you the Blu-ray because the Blu-rays, it looks stunning. It is the 1983 Kira Kurosawa film, Ran, which is set in medieval Japan uh, and is a near three hour epic um, that is heavily, and when I say heavily, it's extremely heavily influenced by King Lear, um, where a father decides to call it quits um, ruling, governing, and hands his power to his three sons, its sons in this, as opposed to daughters in King Lear. Um, and he hands his, his dominion, divides his dominions up into uh, three parts. Um, and they all disagree and all hell breaks loose into what is quite possibly one of the most visually stunning films of the 80s, at least, I think. Um, Kurosawa just firing on very simple cylinders, nothing particularly complicated, but it is, it's very rousing, it's really moving. The performances are astonishing. Um, so it's something that I do think you should see. Um, and hands down wins number seven. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'm, I'm not going like, to, it's difficult to fight for a film, uh, fight against a film I haven't seen. But, um, um, and I, and I do think Missing is, whilst I do love mm. it, there, there are a few, I think it's, there are a few probably things that you don't think are brilliant about it. Uh, no, uh, well, the thing is, is that I, funnily enough, is uh, I don't think we see enough of Greek I mean, we have a great, there's a great, obviously, the director of. Um, uh, there's that chap. He's he's directed a few films with, funnily yeah. enough, Colin Farrell in, in them. Yes, uh, he did Dogtooth, a great film called Dogtooth, which was one of his first films, uh, which was a Greek film, which is extremely strange, but very powerful. Um, then he made uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer with that Colin was Farrell, which is an amazing film. Um and he did uh, Yorgos Xanthimos, his name. Um, and he did the the great uh, Olivia Wilde won the Oscar for the favorite. The favorite, yeah. Olivia Coleman, yeah. Uh, what did I say? Olivia Wilde. Sorry, was... not Olivia Wilde. Most certainly not Olivia Wilde. It was Olivia Coleman. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's excellent. That's a very good historical movie set during the reign of Queen Anne. Yeah, I toyed with putting it on the list, but um, it was too mainstream. <laughs> uh yes costa uh gavras he's um i think it's great because jack lemon is one of the greats you know ha has in in terms of the um acting world um uh never ever feels false um he's always absolutely brilliant in my opinion um and sissy spacek uh you know, it was a, a great character actress. I just think, I, I do think it was a great film. It, it um, is good, but I th I, it's probably not Costa Gravas, Gavras's best because he's, well, I think he's better known for, um, is it Zed? Um, Zed and... Uh, e, uh, Zed for, yeah, the 60, late 60s film. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, what else? Uh, I, well, I think it's. I think. Um, I think missing is. I do think it's a one of his. I haven't seen all of his films, but um, I think it's really powerful. Yeah, uh, and, and Jack Lemon is is this sort of. He really sums up that kind of powerlessness that a individual yeah. up against the might. Yeah. Central Intelligence Agency. The thing is, I was thinking about this when, when you know, we were talking about our lists. Um, it, it's a little bit comparing Ran with Missing is a little bit like at the Oscars when Dances with Wolves, um, uh, put a pin in that. Uh, Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas to Best Picture. It's kind of like, you know, it's impossible to compare these films. Um, they're amazing in their own way. Um, saying that, uh, though, I think Rand should. <laughs> Does sound like yeah, it's going to win that. So we're, we're at number six. Number yes. six. Number six. Certainly, oh, yes. it's had the had the run of, of of victory so far. So number six. So my number six mm. was Katyn, which is a Polish film um, uh -huh. made in 2012, I think. Yeah. Uh, about um, massacre by the Soviets against the Poles uh yes now i have to admit i haven't seen it um i think it's the only film in your list that i haven't seen except for one of the uh i think for one of the documentaries um but um so you know uh i can't really well, I won't make Argue. you. Um, I won't make you. Um, um, bullshit us. You no, can, no, no. You can talk about your your, your choice. Uh, the the well, the only the only tricky thing that number six for you is that it's up against a Stanley Kubrick film, which I think you're, there's no way Katyn can defeat your choice <laughs> because I love, I love it. It is, uh, and and you didn't choose it for your list, which I find interesting. No. Um. Mm. Uh, and well, it and it is uh, the epic, amazingly visual Barry Lyndon, um, which I adore it, this film. Well, Kubrick never made a bad film, I don't think. Uh, he he, and when he put his mind to it, you know, his detail is so impeccable um, to the point where you know they invented lenses for this film so that they could shoot in candlelight um, without any artificial light. Uh, you know, the costume design, the I mean, you could just go on and on about Barry Lyndon. Um, uh, and it's, I just find it really rather amusing. I mean, and not in a particularly funny way, to be honest, but the fact that what he had been planning was his Napoleon film. Um, to the point where I, I, I think he had <clears throat> these drawers, um, full of, um, cards you know like those cards you get in wh smith um for every single day of napoleon's life and on those cards were what he was doing that day um his research was so in incredibly detailed um that uh you know it was just utterly devastating that they pulled the plug after you know he'd been doing designs on costumes sets blah 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 and then he just goes off and <laughs> makes Barry Lyndon. You know, you think, well, um, so so what? So 
So they were going to make, they were due to make, mm. how close did it get towards filming? Because I think they, 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 pre-production, I mean, it was very close. Um, he, there's a great documentary on his, um, well, on the, on the, uh, his uh, collection of Blu-rays, um, films, his the films that are on Blu-ray. I think all of them are now actually. Um, but he, there's great stories about, you know, how he designed the, uh, uniforms for all the soldiers in Napoleon's army but he came up with the idea that because there's so many of them there was like 40,000 extras I think that he'd organized um, and he he instead of making costumes for every single one because they're all going to be in the background and you know um, at a distance he made loads of them out of paper um, so it just looked right but his I mean his designs just went beyond detailed it was amazing um i think that he used sounds, a lot that that, that that paper thing sounds very, mm. very un-kubrick like given his attention yeah well i think it it you know there's there's a limit to what he can i mean he you know he's a perfectionist um uh, in terms of i think you know he, he, the number of takes he would do um i was where... listening the other day that harvey Keitel walked mm. off the set because there was just so yes many yeah well that size wide chart yeah and i think sydney pollock took his place um, but, um, you know, I think Barry Lyndon was probably no, no different. Um, but it's just, you know, it's a remarkable achievement, the, the scale of it, the, you know, everything, every single shot in Barry Lyndon looks like a painting, like it's been composed just like a painting and with the, the amount of patience that a painter has, um, it's just that the camera's moving a lot of the time um and it's it's you know it's just i mean it's one of the greatest probably historical films ever made um uh you know whether it's you know by the letter accurate based on anything of course we don't well it's, it's know, the thackeray isn't it yes um but it's you know in terms of um just the period is yeah, is, yeah. is amazing um great stuff well I, it's difficult to see uh, after that um, and we <laughs> agree with everything you said. I think Katyn loses out there. I must watch Polish Katine, listeners. Eh? Polish listeners, please forgive me. It's yes. about the film, though. It's not about the absolutely object matter. Uh, right, we're into the top five, so we should run through mm -hmm. our, our agreed top ten. Um, so at number ten, right. we've gone with the Passion of the Christ Oof. directed by Mel Gibson. Yeah. I mean, that is a that I'm sounding very controversial now that you've actually said it out loud. But sorry. Carry on. <laughs> well, you know, uh, number 11 was <laughs> Alexander. Right. Yeah. Number 10, okay. Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Mm -hmm. Number nine, we went with Richard III, directed by Laurence Olivier. Mm -hmm. Number eight, we've gone with Breaker Moran, directed yeah. by Bruce Beresford. Number seven, we've gone with Ran by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, number six, it's Barry Lyndon directed by Stanley Kubrick. So it's a bit of a slaughter so far. Tim Hewitt's <laughs> selection has won through in four of, four of the five. <laughs> We're into the top five. Will it change? So mm -hmm. number five. Now, in my number five, I mm. had a film mm. that is a... If you were to watch it, you would almost think you were watching a documentary. Right. And I know what it, what it is. Feature film, yes. It is Culloden. Yeah. Now, 
I, I really am, I would say, 100% in agreement with you on this one uh, in terms of, because it is quite remarkable. It's, it's a film you would never, ever think was made when it was made. It, it could have been made last week. Or um, it could have been made in 1745. Or, or even more, yes. <laughs> even Assuming better. they had yeah. a time machine, yeah. Or, or, or they just, some someone knew how to, invented this device to record and then just happened to record it. Because it's also, it's the way it's done. It's the way it's, it's you know, it's a proper documentary feel to it. Um, why it didn't really catch on the way uh, it, you know, like, for example, you take the Blair Witch Project you know, which sparked that genre of filmmaking and everybody was doing it. It just went mental. So why in those days when Culloden was made, why it didn't spark this, you know, new movement is a bit, because, I mean, there are other things that you could argue. There were bits and bobs in other films that, that, um, that uh, used this sort of style, maybe, but nothing on the scale of Culloden. I, I, you know, it is a. I just think it was a phenomenal achievement. And and the thing is, is that not only is the filmmaking great, but you know, the the performances in it are match that kind of realism. You know, there's never a moment where you go, "Oh, that was a bit staged." That was a, you know, oh, nah, he wasn't very good in that line. Um, it was great. It was really great. Um, is it a coincidence that my number five <laughs> uh, is as I think as real uh, as that? Um, I had two. I had basically. I was toying over two films directed by the same person, and I'm from my number five, and I think Culloden does the same sort of job as these two. My first idea was. I was going to have Paul Greengrass's Bloody Sunday, which I just think is like Culloden. You're like, I just can't believe this is fake. It is so real that it's quite, um, an, again, an achievement. And Greengrass comes from a documentary background. So I think that's why it kind of it worked so well, because he knew that style. But I decided instead my number five is United 93, which is my only 20th century um, history film. Uh, uh, and, you know, when someone like Tom Hanks, who went on to work with Paul Greengrass and Captain Phillips, said that um, he thinks that all everyone in United 93 should have got an Oscar. Um, I completely agree with him because it, it's, it's so real. It's so claustrophobic. It's so the performance is so magnetic. Um, and it's even though you know the outcome. It, you are still falling off the edge of your seat because it's so um well it's so tense and suspenseful so my that's my number five but i think it's a really good battle number five uh, uh, it, it uh, is. your it is. your number five and my number five um <laughs> I, 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 you know what if you'd put bloody sunday in there hmm. i'd probably um i'd probably put up less than a fight but it's right. because united 93 i did i did think it was fantastic it is a fantastic hmm. Uh, it doesn't have any uh, particularly well-known actors in it. No, it? In fact, and I think in that fact, was the I think, point. Yeah, 
And I think I think in fact the um, the person uh, there's uh, at least one plays himself. Mm. Yes, the the air traffic control, the head of the air traffic control. Yeah, um, head of air traffic control on the day mm. of, of, of uh, when it happened. So you know, there's a bit a little bit odd actually for him to have to reenact such okay. a horrible time in his life. I mean, it was, but um, it was amazing. And I, um, and I think that the non act thing was i'm um, sorry not the non-act the, the no name uh no names in the film i think it was a deliberate oh I choice didn't pick because um, well i you know because i think it was you know the it, then you're not really rooting for tom hanks i think that was the idea you're rooting oh, for see. these people um uh and i just uh, but i you know it was so i mean i i watched it as it came out which i don't think was that long after the 9-11 um in terms i mean now it's been what 20 something years but um and paul greengrass wrote the film himself um and yeah i just i i i would put bloody sunday in there um but i think the resonance of the actual and the, yeah, I, and the f fact it was global you know it was like the worst terror attack that has really ever taken place i suppose um yeah, I just felt bigger, it was very it's, significant. It's a bigger event historically, certainly, um, than September the 11th. But it was made only only five years after, yeah, less than five years after the events it was depicting. Mm. 2006. Uh, 2006. Uh, and Bloody I believe Sunday it was made, I think, in 2000, and, 2000 I think, or 2001. Uh, yes. Um, uh, 2000 and with Jimmy Nez, the great Jimmy Nesbit. Um, Ama yeah, an amazing performance from him. And and again, funnily enough, that this, um, like the military guy, the leader Simon uh, Mann, yes, is, is playing this himself basically. Yeah, so for listeners who aren't aware who Simon Mann is, he was a uh mercenary who was arrested mm. and imprisoned in Equatorial Guinea for involvement in a coup to overthrow the government of Equatorial Guinea. And it involved all sorts of murky dealings uh, involving Mark Thatcher, the son of Margaret Thatcher. Um, hmm. And if you if you would like to watch a film of that, you could watch The Wild Geese, which even oh, yeah. though it was made th 30 years before. Um, coup, Richard it, Harris and uh, Roger Robert, Moore. Uh, Richard Burton. And Richard Burton. Roger yeah. Moore, um, but it's you know it's a similar sort of thing. Coup goes wrong, and a wealthy individual who's pulling the strings is involved as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, the the Simon Man does make an appearance as as command uh, Colonel Wolford, I think was the yes, name and he's he's excellent in it as well. Yeah, um, well, he captures the attitude that I think that regiment had. Um, towards the uh the residents of the bogside in Derry yeah 72 and uh, yeah absolutely which was basically the, their attitude was the whole reason why the disaster happened the massacre mm. Mm. um but, and it's and it's done i think it was one of those um films uh, one of the first films Culloden had it to to a lot a, a great extent but i think that um, for example, um, Bloody Sunday's style was so dirty. Um, you know, there wasn't any polishing or anything um, to really make it as gritty and, and realistic as, as possible. United 93 doesn't have that 
so much as or rather as much as bloody sunday um but it's i mean it's, it's terrifying and i just felt it was you know and emotionally yeah. it was very it had a how do they impact. do that because you'll know this and it's interesting mm. to know because the way that bloody sunday is shot and i know we're going listeners mm. on a slight tangent there please forgive mm-hmm. me it's a bonus podcast so i think we can get away with it <laughs> yeah um, but there's the way it's shot in bloody sunday is um when you watch the footage mm real news footage of the early 70s mm. in northern ireland it's always there's no, very little color and it's yeah. i mean it is in color um mm. it's not that it's it's in black and white it's in color but it's very dark it's, it's like desaturated and yes and I grainy. Don't know what, yeah exactly i mean even you know when you see the horror horrible image of the the um the priest try waving his handkerchief blood yeah. to try and stop mm. the paratroopers from shooting mm. but uh, but um, uh, the footage is exactly like that. What? How do they? How do they achieve that? Um, well, the, it depends on, I guess, what they what they shoot on. I think uh, Bloody Sunday was. Um, I, I, I may be slightly wrong, but I think it was shot a lot on video. Um, I may be wrong. Um, now I'm going to ask a stupid question: mm. Isn't aren't all films shot on video, as opposed to film stock? Um, but then it may have been, full, but they, you know, they can do a lot in post-production. What's film kind stock? Of, as in film negative. Oh, that goes oh you through mean the like camera. The, the tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't, I actually don't know. I can, as we speak, um, have a little check. Um, but it's, um, uh, it, and it, and, you know, zooming in long lenses um, that, that become very shaky, um, things aren't focused properly because you don't get that in real life when you're shooting a documentary or um you know fly on the wall um it uh, whereas you know the united 93 is a little bit more polished um because it's not purely documentary or at least that's what i guess what he wasn't going for but um um yeah so i but the the battle for number five um, is a tricky one. Uh, I, I think because Culloden's so groundbreaking, it, it should win. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a different, you know, it sort of took things in it where well, I think it should have taken things in a new direction. Um, so I would happily give you that one, actually. Um, yeah, Bloody Sunday, okay. you're right. Had I done Bloody Sunday, I think that could have nipped it, but uh, but I didn't. So Well, you've got to talk about it. Yeah, right, that's true. Number- Number four, we're moving into number four. Now, number four, I, I picked a documentary. And so that um, mm. you've got a thing against documentaries. So, Well, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some great documentaries currently streaming, actually, on, uh, on I think, Netflix and Amazon. Um, so I haven't got anything How against no, I wasn't thinking. I was thinking more things like um, uh, um, the Dawn Wall, um, the rescue, the, the uh, an amazing documentary about the um, the rescue of the t- of the Thai football team, the the kids in the cave. Oh, I've, the I've only cave. seen the actual film of it. The you know the Colin. Oh, Colin, with Colin, with Colin I think you quite like Colin Farrell, don't you? you have a big doing accents actually. Um, uh, yeah, no, there's there's a the there's a documentary called The Rescue, which you you must see. It's it's heart pounding stuff. I'll put um, that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, um 
Yes. So, so, so yeah, my, mine was one day in September, which is the events of the 1972 Olympics. Um, yes. Olympic. Sorry, I, I it's not the one. I haven't seen this one. Um, I, I don't know if I talked to you. Yeah, who did uh, the last King of Scotland? That's right. Yes. And also the touching the void. Another yeah. Doc- yeah. Documentary. Although that's weird. Is it a documentary or isn't it? Touching the void. Yeah. I think. It's, is it based on yeah it's based it on is but it's it? two, two guys reenacting and it, I, th- I think uh t- two actors reenact um re- reenact the climb so right. are you watching a documentary or aren't you well i don't know you could uh, i mean anyway let's not let's not go that <laughs> yeah, um okay. so yes one day in september it's mm-hmm. uh, narrated by michael douglas um mm-hmm. Uh, and he's really i don't know why he doesn't do more um commentary he's so good on it um mm. but what's your number five so num- uh, four number four and uh, number four sorry number four my number four is i think a film that when the brits do do it well they do it very well um and um it is one of the two war films that i've got in my list oh is it a bridge too far it unfortunately is not <laughs> your favourite film. Uh, it is Anthony Asquith's The Way to the Stars, starring Michael Redgrave, um, uh, Trevor Howard, and uh, and um, his name's gone out of my head. Um, John Mills. Um, an amazing film. It's written by Terence Rattigan, directed by Anthony Asquith, and it's uh, essentially set on a bomber command base. And the whole film is set on the bomber command base. And you'd never leave the base, really, except to go to the pub, which is particularly British. Um, and uh, you never, they, you, they never get in, you never actually see anything in the planes flying, bombing. It's all just on the base that they're on. And is just I think an amazing, amazing film with really, really great performances. Um, quite moving, um, without being overly sentimental. Um, and is one of the great films of the forties that the Brits made, I think. Um, and there is it's nothing. It's, it isn't really anything to, you know, to when we were discussing things like Bloody Sunday and. Um, anything controversial like the Passion of the Christ, but it's it's just a properly good World War II um, made kind of just after it was 1945, I think. Um, so it's pretty fresh in in the minds of the writer and director. Um, yeah, that's my number four. Um, well, I have I I haven't seen this, so I should I should watch it. Um... Are you sure? I thought you had seen this. No, I haven't. I've, I've never seen this. In fact, I don't think I've seen your next one either. Um, so The Way to the Stars. Well, I, you know, I, I will go with this just because I want to watch it. <laughs> um, uh, and it's written by Terence Rattigan. Uh, yes. And you can tell it's a little... It, well, it's not that you can tell it's written by a playwright, but it's... it's. I mean, he well, if it's and, all set on a base, it sounds... Sort yeah. of, yeah. I mean, there is that element to it, but it's... Um, I mean, they they collaborated in i think more than once they they both Asked did the director the director yeah they did a film that was not particularly 
brilliant, in my opinion, called the Yellow Rolls Royce um, later on. Um, but this is, I mean, this is really, I think, quite quite a, it's a moving, um, just very simple film. Um, Ratkin has always got this kind of, um, there's always a sort of air of melancholia, isn't there? With, with... There is in this, uh, as there is in this film, yes. Um, uh, you know, when, when characters die, that you know, that you don't see that it, that that happens off screen. It's it's really actually quite a. It's not showy. It's not um. It's not shoving the emotion down your throat. It's kind of quite subtle, but it uh, well at least I think it was. Um, but it's a great. I mean, I don't think enough films really have been made about Bomber Command. Um, you know, we tend to do more of the Spitfire stuff. Um, uh, and I just think it's you know in fact we should do more like this. Uh, in fact and it's uh it's stood the test of time i think really good film yeah. okay great stuff well that gets that gets number four um <laughs> right we're into the top three now yes um, okay i think this is your okay my number three um mm. was actually a documentary series so i, I, mm. I you know i'm not going to fight for this which was the civil war the ken burns ken burns documentary yeah sorry i there's two documentaries of yours that i haven't seen yes uh yeah so i do apologize so i can't really fight well it's quite a commitment it's a sort of a good nine ten hours of your life okay uh, watching watching it but it's worth it it's so good um okay but Rose, you uh, have your... seen my number three i haven't seen your number three you haven't seen my number three ah no that's quite sacrilegious, actually. So do tell. do Because do, it, it is up there probably with one of the greatest films ever made. I think when people, film scholars argue. Um, but it's Jean Renoir's La Grande Illusion. Grand illusion in English, I suppose. Um, big illusion. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it's kind of iconic in French cinema. Um, uh Funnily enough, my three and four are World War II films. Um, that's a bit of a coincidence. Uh, yeah, this is nineteen. This is made in nineteen thirty-seven. Sorry, it? no, it's not World. What am I saying? It's World War One. La Grande Illusion is set in World War One, but it was made just before World War Two. Yeah, um, Jean Jean Renoir became an enemy of the, uh, or at least the Germans labelled him as enemy of the people um, because of this film, um, and they tried to burn every copy um they like to do that in those days yeah they they did <laughs> they took it that seriously um it's uh, stars jean gabin uh who was a great french actor um it's basically this is how i describe la grande illusion i describe it as the great escape but much better um and that's saying a lot because great escape is a really good film um you're not, yeah, is, you're not, you weren't saying that because you didn't rate The Great Escape. No, no, it's not. I mean, of course, The Great Escape is The Great Escape. But um, the, the Grand Illusion doesn't have the token American casually dressed uh, <laughs> doing very heroic things. Um, the, this film is, what you were saying about La Reine Margot, I feel like kind of applies to this because you think, ah, oh, they're digging tunnels like the Great Escape. They're going to get out. Maybe there, some will get caught. Then there's a journey of their escape, and blah, blah, blah. but it just doesn't happen like that. The the what you don't expect happens, um, 
and it takes a different direction and then it goes in this direction and that direction um and it has some just some great performances and one of the most moving scenes without any tears any i mean really just very few words um between two two mates um while they try to escape or are escaping um and yeah it's just one of the great war films um problem with war films when you're doing history is and you and you say oh what about the 20th century is that the the war, world war one two had such great such a great impact um and there are so many films made about them that it's very difficult to exclude war films from your list because of course there's loads of other things that you could um put uh on lists like this that have nothing to do with war but they're historical but the thing is they're so significant that it's very difficult to get away from them i was trying not to actually i was trying to do um uh quite a few non-war films but i was like nah i'm sorry it's just can't help it well, so I'm... my number three is la grande illusion by jean renoir well i'm glad you i'm glad you did um because it makes for a more interesting list i mean we could go on about where eagles dare and saving yeah. Private ryan yeah no, where eagles dare oh um so I mean, whereas where eagles dare is is i you know one of the most fun you can watch it over and over but i i i have to admit that i agree with um something that quentin tarantino said about and he loves where he was there. It's one of his favorite men on a mission films. Um, but I agree with him when it comes to the possibility for an astonishing amount of suspense where, oh, Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton speak German fluently, but they just speak English in the film. And you know it's German. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you look at something like Inglorious Bastards and you try to get away with speaking that language it adds an a, you know an amazing amount of tension um but yeah where is where he was there is is one of the great and you could go i mean there's so many world war ii films yeah there are um, we've mentioned one other one already but the the yeah. um but but if if so so he didn't like the fact that um uh richard burton is speaking richard burton to german officers yeah so you know Major it's Himmler. like it's like i, I i'm talking the to name Clint eastwood England. at the moment and it's everything's wonderful and they walk into a bar and it's like i'll have uh two two whiskeys and it's like and and that german guy across the bar just doesn't blink at, he's speaking english <laughs> but of course we know we think we get that oh he's speaking german and all you need is at the beginning of the film for the superior officer to say you all speak german fluently of course <laughs> you know <laughs> so uh so it just sort of you know but then yeah you know, i guess it's suspending the disbelief and then there's you know. a very good and again we've gone off on a tangent um but there is a very good short um sort of extended essay i'd call it but mm. it's a short a short very short read by jeff dyer mm. uh, who's a great writer and he's written a book about where eagles dare where he's just sort of broken it down and he he talks right. about this he talks about how the fact that everything all the kit in it is german and it, and it sort of works and and despite it being german it's actually a lot of it's quite cool like the plane that flies through the alps at the beginning there's the um, yes yes 
winter ski clothing and and, mm-hmm. and uh, the only the thing that's british is is the machine gun that makes an appearance right at the end and it doesn't work um so <laughs> right anyway yeah. the, i will put a link in there for the show notes for the listeners that's definitely sure. if you like where eagles dare it's definitely mm. a short short uh, book I'd, I'd like to read that actually. um i will i will send it to you right Thank so you. number right we're we're top two now so i think your yeah. your one does defeat the civil war um okay the, the nine hours my my two hours defeats the nine hours yes it does okay it does. so now we're top two now number two mm. i had oh, you're gonna have a difficulty here mm. it's the battle of algiers oh wow yeah this is difficult and my number two is zhang yimu's i think if i pronounce that right i hope so um zhang yimu's hero the um epic film 2002 which was the first of his a trilogy that he did which was hero house of flying daggers and um the curse of the golden flower hero is my favorite i think hero is quite possibly one of the best films in the last 30 years technically visually pretty much everything he um it, it's uh just a feast for the eyes set in uh, a couple of hundred years BC, uh, when China was six different um, territories, states, provinces. Um, and you have Jet Li as the assassin. Um, and it is... I it love is, Jet Li. He's great. And, and it is just stunning. It's stunning to watch um, in its technical... I mean, they, they sort of did a lot of advancement and things like uh, Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This just took it to the next level um and is it's like watching dance a lot of the time it's balletic it's it's um i mean it's just so innovative and um uh i just yeah it's difficult i mean battle of algiers is an important film you know it's 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 very i mean it's iconic but this is (laughs) again goodfellas yeah yeah it's unfair you know it's very difficult what I love about the Far East, uh, South Korea, China, Japanese films, they they concentrate on every single aspect of the filmmaking process. So, um, you know, you will argue, you could argue that something like Titanic, visually unbelievable. Script wise, you know, it's not it's not poetry. <laughs> If you would just simply read the script, you may argue the same with Avatar and I haven't seen Avatar 2 yet, but um, visually it's just stunning. It's amazing. But when these guys out uh, in the Far East do this, the script is amazing. The acting is amazing. The costume design is amazing. The production design is amazing. The action is amazing. Everything is amazing. Um, And there's so many films, some of my favorite films that come from uh, particularly South Korea, you know, if it's horror, um, it's not just horror. It's, you know, re- it's a profound experience. Um, with Like Par- great... Parasite that came out. And Parasite, yeah, I mean, I mean, Parasite, amazing. So that's my number two. Hero is my number two. Uh, Battle of Algiers is great. It is great. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? All right, let's go with Hero. I've completely Oof. folded. 
um i bow to your superior technical I, and just remembering it i've only mm. seen it once actually and i did mm. love it so maybe i, I need to go back and, and you see you know seeing something like that on a big screen is is six month shoot which he did back to back with house of flying daggers um but um i just think this was a technical marvel so hero defeats battle of algiers <laughs> Um, so we're now we're at your number one. Now my number one is mm. very famous, hugely powerful. Yes, downfall that um, sparked a hell of a lot of YouTube. Very very funny. They're less <laughs> funny now though, aren't they? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, everywhere every now and then that one comes out. You know that was the. I think that one of the funniest for me was when they did a Last Jedi. Oh right. Um, but yeah, downfall amazing. Downfall is amazing, but kind of like some, the the ones that I was arguing about, like Richard III and the Bounty. It's it is his towering performance that is that makes the film amazing. Um, I mean, it's a very it's a great film, a well made film, but he really is front and center of the whole film. I mean, he should have won an Oscar really for it because he was he was great. Um, my number one is. Dances with Wolves, which has held a very special place in my heart since I was once well, since I first saw it when I was fourteen, um, because it the way it depicted the Native Americans may, actually sparked such an interest that I I read a hell of a lot um, about them um, and what an amazing people they were and are. Um, ridiculous what happened to them just unforgivable but the 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 i mean the achievement that kevin costner um with uh, the fact that it was his first film i was going to say that's his first film yeah. he hasn't really directed very much but when he does okay the postman you could argue i think is on a par with alexander <laughs> the low, uh, blow, low blow but he has he he can certainly direct and and the the leisurely pace the 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 i i do really think that you get the impression that whenever uh, he did the same sort of thing in open range which is a great western that he made later on um there's a real sense that he loves his country in terms of his the landscape the grand vistas the the openness um and being very much part of the land um and it's just it's it's heartbreaking it's it's the thing with this is part of my you know um 19th century film choice um the thing the problem with the 19th century is that you've got the whole of the western genre to pick um i mean you could pick any you, the good the bad and the ugly is one of the greatest westerns ever made could be on the list but uh this is just so i just think so it's an enriching film. Um, and it kind of re-sparked the whole um, Western genre again, didn't it? Because yeah. I remember you had Unforgiven after this. Yeah, Unforgiven, I think, was, you know, a little bit more of the classic style of Western, um, whereas this was but also dealing, this, this was dealing with the subject matter of something that was slightly, the world actually hadn't been done on film like this. You know, again, with the whole Where Eagles Dare thing, Kevin Costner said, no, they have to speak the language. And the studio were like, well, isn't there a way that they could actually speak English? Like they used, you know, like in all of John Ford's films and 
um, Howard Hawks and all, you know, the, the natives spoke American quite well, actually. <laughs> uh, and, and the thing is, is that one of the themes of Dance with the World is the whole concept of communication, um, fellow man, you're the same as me. You know, it was uh, some of the best scenes are when he's trying to communicate, you know, just buffalo, uh, sugar, coffee. You know, it's amazing. Tatanka. Tatanka. And, and the natives were just brilliant performances. Um, uh, everything about it, I just think, was amazing. Uh, deservedly won a hell of a lot of Oscars. Yes, it was in competition with Goodfellas. So how do you compare these two films? Uh, it's impossible. Uh, I think Scorsese should have won Best Director for Goodfellas way, way over The Departed, but he unfortunately Kevin Costner came along and did, did something pretty special. Uh, so that's my number one. Yeah, it's wonderful. I, have you watched his new TV series called Yellowstone? Yellowstone, yes. Yeah, um, halfway through it. Yeah, yeah really good. Um, and and but it shows, the... you know, that's what he, you know, he he's obviously got a. I wonder if he lives in in the uh, out in Wyoming or Montana or somewhere. He does have, uh, yeah. Apparently, he does um, have property out somewhere. I can't remember where. What I think it may be Montana. But he Yellowstone's a really great um, story because Taylor Sheridan, who created it, has made two prequel series to Yellowstone. One called uh, 19, uh, 1899, where I believe Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren play Kevin Costner's ancestors. Yeah, good historical TV series, that one. Wonderful. Okay. Well, look, we've done it. Well done. We did Tim. it. <laughs> Took us a while. Thank I you. hope there are some listeners still with us. If you, if you are, well done. You, you've, you've made yeah. it. We'll just do a quick recap. So at number 10, we went with... The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson. Uh, number nine, we had Richard III, Laurence Olivier. Number eight, we went with Breaker Morant, Bruce Beresford. Yeah. Number seven, we went with Ran by Akira Kurosawa. Number six was Barry Lyndon, Stanley Kubrick. Number five, I think we did go with Culloden, didn't we? We did, yes. We won, so you won there. Number four, the Way to the Stars, Anthony Asquith. Number three, La Grande Illusion, Jean Renoir. <laughs> number two, Hero, Yimou Zhang. And number one, well, we've gone with Dances with Wolves by Kevin Costner. Although, I don't know, I'm still pretty sure that Downfall should take that. But... <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Uh, very different films. They um, are Downfall so is... different. Yeah. Um, but can't we, can't think... we tie... We can do a tie. We can because do they're tie. so different. If he, if you'd chosen a western, then you know that would have been. Yeah. So it's a first equal downfall and mm. dance with wolves. That's your lot. Thanks so very much, Tim. Wonderful. Thank you for having on. me. Thanks very much indeed. And Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you and to all the listeners. That's nice. Now, if you feel outraged by any of these suggestions, you can get hold of both Tim and I on the Twitter. Links are in the show notes, along with the movies. Tim's short films and links to what we've discussed. Please do subscribe to the pod if you can. Coming up, I've got another top 10, top 10 Christmases. I've got Peter Hughes on writing history today and Joanna Hickson on Henry VII and Henry VIII. But in the meantime, thank you and good night.